Welcome everybody to Book of Bottom Podcast. It's really great to have Benjamin again because there was a couple of weeks there where we didn't hear his deeply masculine voice and I kind of missed that. We are going to get to roasting episode 19 of the LDS Saints podcast where they talk about their latest history book, if you could call it that. I think it's more like a collection of anecdotes. Let's talk about all the goings on in politics, especially in Utah, because that's where you are and that's where Mormonism is. So take it away, Brother Benjamin, tell us the shenanigans. So Utah passed a bill basically to force social media companies to be more responsive to parents, at least in theory. (laughs) None of this is in effect yet, but they want age verification and they want all of these platforms set up so the parents have to get permission before a minor can set up an account and a parent has to get permission before they use it at night and a parent has to be able to see all their posts. The bill doesn't go into effect until next year and it requires some certain number of other states to pass the same law. Because they don't want all these companies to just say, fuck Utah, we're just going to leave Utah. But if other states, and I know Florida is looking at this and some other fairly conservative states, that could become the law in Utah and other places. And I can't decide what I think about that. Like some people have said, well, that's a lot of privacy information you're giving to these companies about minors. But on the other hand, social media is pretty demonstrably bad for children. So I wonder if there's not a place for having a little bit more parental involvement. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it either. If your kids are on social media, that's partly because the parents have let that happen Mm -hmm. already. So in some respects, you could argue, well, this is already just the parents' problem. Do we need the government dictating it? I don't have the answers. But i got to say, I don't feel vehemently opposed to it. No, neither am I, but it's it's an interesting thing. This is the state that has attempted to regulate HBO (laughs) back in the days when HBO was the greatest home-based source of porn. Latter-day porn. (laughs) HBO, Showtime, and Skinamax, as we used to call it. What is Cinemax? It's just a movie channel owned by the same company as HBO, but it's a little bit edgier. Oh. I have no idea if they still do this, but they used to have a decent amount of like soft core, straight to video <laughs> content on there. Hmm. Hence the name Skinamax. We had a free to air channel in Australia when I was growing up that kind of had that moniker and that was SBS. If you really want to see porn, that's not the way to do it anymore. <laughs> A five-second boob shot does not carry the same weight that it used to. It really doesn't. Other local Utah news, our state treasurer was speaking at some sort of county, maybe Republican convention, and said that ESG investing, which is, what does that even freaking stand for? Extra sexual gaze. Socially responsible investing, like caring about the environment and social justice and governance, is part of Satan's plan. by saying it's Satan's plan, it's such a cheap way out. Oh, yeah. If it's Satan's plan, say why Satan's plan is bad instead of just saying it's bad because it's Satan's plan. Well, he tried some half-assed argument about how in the Mormon theology, Satan's plan was force everyone to be good and then everyone's going to come back into heaven. But in the story, that means that Lucifer gets all the glory instead of Elohim, right? Mm. And Jesus's plan was like, let's send everybody down, let them make their own choices. Some of them will burn, but you will get all the glory. 
That's the plan they went with. So what he's saying is by forcing people to invest in a good way, that's like Satan's plan. And yes, it's as stupid as it sounds. If he wasn't just so silly with his own religious rhetoric, there is a perfectly reasonable secular argument to be made for not having the government control how things are invested. He should make that argument because that's an argument that you would hear Republicans make a lot and a lot of people like it. Then also have the opposite argument. And the end result might be, hey, people get to choose some of this, people don't get to choose some of this. But just the rhetoric is just so crazy. And that's what's funny about that is that what you described is actually how it is. Like no one is being forced to do ESG investing. <laughs> right. The controversy <laughs> is there are some states like Florida, of course, who've said we want to explicitly prohibit our pension investing in. It's not like anybody on an individual scale is being forced to do that. Two more quick things. There was a bill passed in Utah, and there have been several in other states, to allow parents to challenge books in school libraries that they think are inappropriate for children. And some woman who is my new hero <laughs> submitted one to a fairly conservative school district here in Utah to ban the Bible. I love it. Because it's extremely violent and pornographic. Oh, it is. The person who sponsored the bill, whose name is Ken Ivory, he's a big home builder here in Utah, called the request to pull the Bible antics that drain school resources. I don't see how it would drain any more school resources than any other sort of censorship. It really wouldn't. It's not like they can't find the Bible easily in their library. They can pull it pretty easy if they have to. Oh. So what's the problem? It's not like it's ever leaving the shelf anyway. It's making a really good point. Yes. What else is happening in Utah? I know you spent some time on the Exmo Reddit. <laughs> yes. And I don't know if you saw the TikTok that's going around from this talk from Kevin Pearson at a prospective meeting missionary devotional at BYU-Idaho? No, I don't remember this. One cannot criticize or attack Joseph without attacking God the Father and his son Jesus Christ, whose prophet he is and has been from the very foundation of the world and will always be forever and ever. Wow! So any criticism of Joseph is criticism of God. That's the sort of rhetoric they use about Jesus. Like, he was there at the creation. It was his word that was breathed forth and made the world. And this is a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And what's been the backlash? I don't know how much of an impact this is making outside the ex-Mormon community. Apparently, the whole speech was fairly lengthy. A lot of it was in that vein of, like, Joseph was this and Joseph was that, and Joseph uh, was a prophet, and if you don't believe that, then you're a fuckhead. <laughs> he may not have used those exact words, but uh. I don't know how much impact it's making. But the ex-Mo Reddit is like, bam. <laughs> pretty defensive. It is really defensive. I don't think most of the leaders hold that belief. Now, there's been a lot lately about missionaries, especially like, I don't know if it was the same guy, but somebody saying basically like, you don't pray whether you're supposed to go on a mission. If you're a guy, oh. you go. Oh, you just go. Because God told you mm. to. <laughs> and you pray for the strength to do it. Ugh. There's been a lot of really heavy, go on a mission, doubt your doubts, don't listen to bad information kind of stuff going around. Right. The idea that the truth from the beginning of time can't withstand an internet surge right. <laughs> suggests it's not all that it's built to be. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. Well, let's see if we can make some fun of saints. So I had a listen to this episode, and it's all about the Kirtland Temple being dedicated mm-hmm. in 1836. Sarah Eyring's not on it this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Ben Godfrey and Emily Ut. Once again, a fantastic surname from the Mormons, Ut. U-T-T. She's a curator with the Historic Sites Division in the Church History Department. And I couldn't work out the name of the other person, probably because I was listening to it at high speed, but it sounded something like Shaolin back. I think she's on the show because she was a missionary in the Kirtland area at some point. Do women usually just stay stateside? The percentage of women to men in the mission field in general is lopsided towards men because men are required and women are not. Right. But there were no shortage of sisters in my mission in Holland. The thing about the Temple Square and all the Mormon properties is they do send more women than you would see proportionally based on the whole missionary population right to those places and there is a commonly held belief that they choose the hotter ones (laughs) you send pictures to the church headquarters and like some medical reports and stuff when they're getting ready to call you so they have some basis on which to make those judgments oh my goodness you think maybe the elders are using their liahona in their pants to guide their decision yeah yeah no, sure. There are rules about teaching single members of the opposite sex. Oh, I'm sure. So you have to have a certain number of sisters in case you meet like a single mom. <laughs> I was on my mission where I asked to go follow up with these two or three guys who lived in an apartment together. One of the first things the guy said is, where are the skirts? Oh my God. <laughs> that was literally the word he used. They just wanted to talk to the pretty American girls. <laughs> Didn't want to have anything to do with us. Anyway. Humans are the same world over, aren't they, Brother Benjamin? Yes. Do you remember Divchina posted that snippet from Sinead O'Connor talking about the Mormon missionaries that came to Ireland and (laughs) how the women were interested in being around them only because they thought that they were very handsome in their suits and ties and they weren't interested in what they were saying at all. I mean, this was a very Catholic country. Missionaries no doubt thought they were crushing it for the gospel or whatever, but no. <laughs> and this wasn't the case with me, but you added being in a, like a really poor country. Right. You know, South America or you're in the Philippines or... The possibility to emigrate or something. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure that happens to people in the Peace Corps too. Yeah, it probably does. We've got a sick burn on the community of Christ coming up. Oh, we do have a sick burn on the community of Christ because the Kirtland Temple is in their possession. So let's play this first clip and see what happens. We see the Kirtland Temple. It's owned by the Community of Christ Church, and they're very gracious in giving tours there. And fortunately, this may sound odd, for the preservation of the building, it's been used by people who didn't have enough money to make it look good. (laughs) They never went in and restored it. They've added electricity. The plaster on the exterior walls has been replaced. They had some water problems in the 60s, and their fix caused more problems. The outside stucco has been replaced. Windows have been repainted a bunch. The top of the steeple has been replaced over time. But it's all those little kind of incremental repairs. Today, you really are seeing almost exactly what it would have looked like in 1836. 
Wow. Yeah. It's owned by the community of Christ who are very gracious. Fortunately, from a historical perspective, it was owned by people that didn't have enough money to really look after it. <laughs> there have been a lot of things over the years that were originally owned by the community of Christ that have been sold to the mother church, if you will. <laughs> The mothership. Because for whatever reason, the mothership has been a lot more successful at collecting tithing. <laughs> There's like LDS church-owned stuff right by the Community of Christ-owned stuff, and they'll be like kind of waiting for you at the borders of them to talk a little shit about the other one. <laughs> An uneasy piece. An uneasy piece. I remember Divchina told a story where she had like a newspaper, I think that was from one crowd, and then she went to sit at the presentation of some other crowd. She still had this Paper and I guess she just wanted to read it. And the people there were like, no, you can't have that here. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. And Joseph Smith said, I saw a revelation. He saw in vision what this temple was supposed to look like. And my understanding is that in that vision, they saw not only the outside, but the inside of the temple. You can go to the josephsmithpapers.org website and you can see the recording of that revelation that told them this is how to build this thing. When the Bible describes building temples or whatever, it's really quite detailed, right? Mm. Even if it's a bit nonsensical. It's true. So you'd expect the same kind of thing from Joseph, right? Wrong! (laughs) And it kind of makes sense when you look at the Kirtland Temple. It really is just a white box. If you put a different sign on it, it would look just like any Protestant church in the Northeast. Right. There are hundred churches that look like that. Yeah. Or Masonic temples. (laughs) Ben Godfrey and co are kind of name dropping the Joseph Smith Papers website to give credence to this vision and just how it all came beforehand. And you can check it out yourself. So I went over there. It's all written in Joseph's cursive. I couldn't read it. Like It's very beautiful, actually. Very nice handwriting. It's kind of being turned into DNC 95 anyway. The main subject of it is that Joseph is rebuking them for not having built the temple yet. It's not about the plans. It's more about the rebuke. He goes on and on. You guys haven't done what I've said. And it almost sounds that whiny. Anyway, I just want to read one bit of it. We hardly ever get into the old Joseph Smith catalog on this podcast. (laughs) He's got a lot of shit out there. The whole first part of it is just him being mad about it at all. And then the description of how to build it starts at 15, I think. It says, and the size thereof shall be 50 and 5 feet in width, and let it be 65 feet in length in the inner court thereof. See, I love the way it was like 50 and 5 feet in width. Yes. That's just so stupid. He didn't talk that way, although I bet by the end of his life he was so used to talking this way so often that he sounded like the King James Bible whenever he spoke. Early I say unto you, <laughs> thou shalteth, removeth thy skirteth. <laughs> yes, I can only imagine the pillow talk Joseph Smith had. The Lord hath told me that it is time for me to copulate. Yay! Yay! <laughs> A seed must go forth. <laughs> we mustn't enjoy it. It must be done. I mustn't enjoy it. I must well. It must needs be. <laughs> must needs be that I enjoy it. Oh, that's the other thing. It must needs be is actually in this DNC. Of course it is. Verse 2. Wherefore ye must needs be chastened and stand rebuked before my face. <laughs> 
everyone before God's face? Like, why even put that in there? Like, it's just all flowery nonsense. In the traditional conception, God is everywhere all at once, so you're also up his ass. That's right. I am the indigestible substance in God's ass. That's exactly (laughs) what I am. (laughs) I plan to create as much flatulence for God as possible. Ben Godfrey says, it's my understanding that it actually describes the interior. Well, does it? I mean, briefly, by saying the inner court thereof, you didn't have to have an understanding. You could have just read DNC 95. It's very short. I bet he's got a copy of it somewhere. Let's build a building that has rooms (laughs) and floors, (laughs) like more than one floor on top of each other. Why haven't you built it yet? (laughs) Poor Joseph, he was really frustrated trying to get this building built. No one wanted to fucking build him a building because they're all looking after their own impossible needs of surviving in this harsh land. Exactly. (laughs) So the next verse, instead of really describing what's inside it, it just says what will take part in it. If you're not really listening, you might just think it describes the inner parts. It says, and let the lower part of the inner court be dedicated unto me for your sacrament offering. That just means you do communion there. And for your preaching and your fasting and your praying. Going to do an awful lot of shit in there. It's a multi-purpose room. And the offering up of your most holy desires unto me, saith your Lord. That was the most important part. Uh, Absolutely. What do you think Jason had in mind? Probably a lot of stuff. (laughs) That's right. Especially as we discover in the episode, apparently there was a canvas wall that was erected. in the room that after they finished preaching they would sort of retire and it's kind of like a vestry I suppose where the ministers get together and wank on about whatever religious thing they're doing yeah spiritual masturbation I guess the people on the other side of the veil can hang around and pray and spiritually masturbate as well so yeah it's just wanking all around really very wanky the wankiest book ever it's a circle jerk the latter day circle jerk exactly alright I've called this one the Kirtland Bathhouse <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Once the building was completed, Joseph Smith administered this washing ordinance. And in the Old Testament, the washing was done for the priests. And then Joseph Smith comes along and says, this power, this washing that biblically was only left for prophets is now available to all of us. They can be in the presence of the Lord. You're going to get mad about that, aren't you, Patience? You know why I'm going to get mad about it, don't you, Brother Benjamin? Well, you put it in your outline. I did put it in my outline. (laughs) They like to add the Bible in there to sort of give it some credence. This happened like this in the Old Testament. Bullshit, it happened like this in the Old Testament. You totally bastardized it, as God and Ramsey would say. All Hebrews washed. All Hebrews were concerned with being ritually clean. So were the priests. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. They probably did have different ways of doing that depending on the ritual that they were going to do. But if you were going to go before God, you had to be ritually clean. Wouldn't matter whether you are a priest or not. I don't remember the part in the Bible where you put on a poncho and an old person touched you all over your body. <laughs> no, they didn't take it that far. And I've listened all the way through Leviticus and I know you have too. Yes. 
I don't know how anyone can look at the rituals of the temple and go, oh, yeah, that has Jewish origins. It doesn't. It just doesn't. No, it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And then they're saying this thing that was reserved just for these prophets. I don't think you can find one prophet in the Old Testament, except for maybe Samuel, who was actually a priest or a Levite. Samuel and I want to say Ezekiel or maybe Ezra. There were a couple of others, but not most of them. Yeah. All right, let's move on. (laughs) I've called this one Alvin and the Glowing Chipmunks. When the men completed the ordinance, Joseph saw a vision of the future. He saw God the Father and Jesus Christ. Adam and Abraham were there as well, along with Joseph's mother and father and his older brother Alvin. He heard the voice of the Lord say, All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. They had been taught that because Alvin wasn't baptized, he was damned. And so when Joseph sees in vision his brother standing next to Abraham, this is revolutionary. Interesting. Yeah, it just sounds very planned. I'm going to now have this vision and now I'm going to impart that to you while we're at this dedication. And this is what I'm seeing. I'm going to introduce this new idea to you. Oh, let's do that now. While you're here, you're probably going to imagine that you're seeing angels. You're also tired from standing and listening to me talk for five hours. So who knows what you're experiencing right now? It could also just be me on the other side of the river in a sheet. Why spooky ghost? <laughs> she says it's revolutionary. Is it revolutionary? The traditional Christian belief, right, is that the unbaptized go to hell, regardless of how innocent or not they are. And so in that sense, it seems more fair. Yeah. Although I don't know who judges who would have accepted it if they could have. If they were to tarry. Who runs the alternate history on that to make that decision? Maybe it's Joseph. Who knows? Yeah. I'm not sure how revolutionary it is, but I think probably amongst certain religious circles, It was revolutionary. Endowed with jargon is what I've called the next one. Pay attention to the word sealed. What is an endowment of power? It's such a big idea. I don't even know if I fully understand what that means. The idea of an endowment um, connected to like a university, right? It's a gift given to further the work of that institution. Maybe the endowment of power in the church is it's a gift from God that gives you the power and the ability to fulfill his work. Let the anointing of thy ministers be sealed upon them with power from on high. Put upon thy servants the testimony of the covenant, that when they go out and proclaim thy word, they may seal up the law and prepare the hearts of thy saints. When the men left the temple, their souls were soaring from the wonders and glories they had just experienced. They felt endowed with power and ready to take the gospel to the world. Sealing up of hearts and sealing up the law and using the word seal because it sounds really important and witchcrafty. All the sort of stuff that you hear in Pentecostal churches, sealing this, rebuking that, chaining up this. But of course, the Mormons aren't a Pentecostal church. But let's face it, they kind of started that way, didn't they? Oh, yeah, no. They used to be a lot more gifts of the Spirit than they are now. Right. Yes, so sealing up the law, if he's referring to anything, maybe he's talking about how Christ is said to not do away with the law, but to... Fulfill it. 
right? Which is once again saying two opposite things at once. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing away with the law. Don't worry. I'm fulfilling it. Okay, great. So we don't actually follow all the law. There was that whole after Jesus's death fight between the Jerusalem apostles about whether or not Christians were supposed to still be Jewish and to what degree. (laughs) I don't think they ever got much clarity on that during Jesus's life. No, they really didn't because there was so much discussion afterwards. Yeah, they just sort of traveled around with him for a bit and then they sort of made up the rest afterwards because he wasn't there for very long. I mean, he was there for 33 years, apparently, but they only had three years with him. Paul never met him. No, although they say he did. On the road. Right, but he didn't really. A lot of things have happened to me on drugs on roads, so. (laughs) That's right. I try to stay away from roads when I'm on drugs. That's not a good combination. It's for the best, otherwise you might end up writing an epistle. Yes. And you don't want to do that. I'm not surprised that they left feeling like they were empowered to preach the word, because if you get people excited, it's just like going to a Trump rally or whatever rally. You go somewhere that's saying all the rhetoric you want to hear and you get excited and single-minded about something, which is what church does to people, you're going to go, yeah, I'm going to go out there and do this for this week. And they're going to turn that feeling into a spiritual thing. And it's like, no, that's just emotions. And they're going to tell you that that feeling is unique to them, as opposed to something that you could feel in just about any environment with the right stimulus. Right. Temple dedications today are very sedate compared to what they experienced at the Kirtland Temple dedication in 1836. First, the dedication is very long. 19th century Mormons like to give very long sermons. Sidney Rigdon was notorious for speaking four or five or six hours. They sing hymns like we do at Temple dedications today. And Joseph Smith reads the dedicatory prayer that's now section 109 of the Doctrine and Covenants. They sing the Spirit of God, which was written for the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. They do a Hosanna shout. People at the dedication report seeing angels, hearing heavenly voices. There are some people who think the building is on fire because of the the spirit and the light that is pouring out of it at this dedication. I don't doubt that there was light pouring out of it. They probably had meetings that went into the night. There was probably light sources in there. And it's all painted in white. When they walked outside, oh, it's glowing. Can you hear the angels? Come on. She's not saying anything that's amazing. Anyway, thoughts? (laughs) I think we're learning the value of mass hypnosis. Right. Mass hysteria. And I wonder how much, if you were really to go back and look at like original sources, like how many people described it that way at the time after Joseph Smith gets killed and Brigham Young takes over and he's giving a speech or something to a group of people and there are all these reports of it seeming like he turned into Joseph Smith's face for a little while and those stories were written down more than 30 some odd years after it happened right. or there's a story that was mentioned in the last one of these where they say well you know people embellish their stories and they probably didn't break all their fine china to make the Kirtland temple sparkle Like, I wrote down a story Grandma told me 50 years after it happened, and that's what she told me. But when Grandma was writing in her journal 50 years before that, she didn't say anything like that. It was fucking hot. That's what she said. (laughs) And Signe Riggin would not shut up. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I had some crazy stories similar to some of the early Mormons in my growing up. Stories about miracles and things. Because these stories are told by people that you trust, you think, well, you know, they must have seen it or it must have been a credible source. And what you discover later when you start thinking about it, it's not that these people were lying or trying to lie. They would have heard it from another credible source and they would have heard it from another credible source. And it all just somehow feeds in on itself. And most of the time, these are pretty sincere people, but it's just horseshit. And it's almost the same way that it's very difficult to get decent news unless there's like some cold, hard facts that you can report on. I notice often with the reporting of the Ukraine news, it's very difficult to get anything confirmed there. Right. Unconfirmed reports. Let's figure out why we need a temple. Yeah. Why do we need this temple? Number seven. He taught the saints that the priesthood keys restored by Elijah would seal families together eternally. Elijah appears and the hearts of the children turn to their fathers. It's no longer about me. It's about my entire family. Taking two separate strands and making them one. That concept wouldn't have been possible if Elijah hadn't come and if this temple hadn't been dedicated. This concept wouldn't have been possible if that vision of Elijah didn't happen to Joseph and they hadn't built this temple. Come on. The concept is... Uh, anyone can come up with a concept. Is God really so limited that he actually needed whatever happened in that white box to happen that way and it couldn't have happened any other way, even if you buy into the story? Of course not. Yeah. What a bunch of crap. I get that it probably appeals to a certain ritual mindset where everything has to be compartmentalized and make sense and you've got to build boxes of words around things so that they all relate to other things and then you can go and live your life. I just don't want to live with that much craziness anymore. I did all of that through my younger years and it nearly drove me batty and getting out of it was the best thing I ever did for my mental health. If you have OCD and you're in church, try getting out of it. Let me tell you, it probably won't get rid of the OCD, but it'll help a lot. Then go and see your doctor. There's some good meds out there. Here endeth my soapbox. Yes, especially if you suffer from scrupulosity. Scrupulosity? <laughs> what does that mean? A feeling like you have to be very, very, very specific or very, very careful about sinning and being constantly, overwhelmingly worried that you're a bad person or that you're doing bad things. If you make any small slip up, something that some religious people suffer from. Right. Reminds me of in Eve psych circles where they talk about personality and stuff, the high conscientious type. It's a version of that, I think. And they do tend to be in churches for sure. It's not all a bad thing. It's just like a personality type. There's good and bad to everything, right? I fall into that category in some respects. I mean, <laughs> obviously I do. I mean, you see how long I take on each episode. It's because I'm not just churning them out. I'm meticulously going over it and doing it how I want to do it in my version of perfection. I don't know that each episode's not perfect, but it's my version of perfect. I gotcha. Thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> That whole bit about Elijah returning is from Malachi 4.6 and it's one of 
those big ideas that often gets churned out in Pentecostal churches in various ways. And she's just interpreted it there in the Mormon way as being something that's absolutely pivotal to the Mormon way of looking at things, which is families connecting to families. So where they look back to their fathers, she's saying that that's reconnecting with family. But I'm sure that in the Jewish sense of understanding it, it probably means that they will remember the patriarchs if they considered righteous and what they said and remember God and maybe return back to a godly way of living. I was trying in the last 10 minutes to try to find something that would tell me what Jewish people actually thought about that scripture. And everything I find is from stupid Christian websites. <laughs> right. But I think you're right on. The children are the descendants of the prophets and they're going to turn back to their true religion. I think that's all it really means. Yeah, I haven't researched it either. That's just me guessing that that's what that would be because that's what the Old Testament is about. Oh, but once again, they're bastardizing the Old Testament and that makes me mad. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so I've called this next one Making It Up As He Goes, which is what Joseph does. And they call that precept upon precept, line upon line, to just push aside the fact he's just changing from moment to moment to moment and evolving. And the stuff that he ends up at with at the end is totally incompatible with the stuff at the start. God doesn't need progressive revelation. He can just jump to the end. God doesn't need to do anything the way you think about it. Why would he do that? For people who have been to open houses in the temple and seen all the different rooms and have a basic understanding of everything that goes on there. The Kirtland Temple was not used that way. It was built for such a different purpose. They needed to build a house of the Lord so those keys could be restored. Then Joseph gets the next revelation that sets him up for the next thing that's going to happen. Here a little, there a little. Learning as we go permeates the entire story. I sometimes wonder where is Ben Godfrey now because this was probably recorded, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago now, I can't remember. But it had to be pre-Mormon. Right, because he's still saying Mormon and they've top and tailed the episodes now, removing that part, but they still leave his bit in at the end that says Mormon, probably because they weren't listening to it. These hosts, after being presented with all of this horse shit, trottling out the lines, he knows what he's going to say, but I feel like he's not totally convinced. <laughs> I have no evidence for that, but that's just what I feel. Yeah, I've been saying the same stuff for long enough. It probably gets a little tired. I think so. Yeah, so this temple is not like the temples now. They're not doing baptisms in there. Joseph just wanted a house. They're explaining it away. This house had a very specific purpose. It had to bring these keys down from heaven. Whatever the fuck that means. Do you know what that means? Tell me more about these keys. It's a metaphor for power to do the things that Joseph decides are to be done, like restoring the priesthood and then polygamy and temple marriages and all that stuff. Those are keys. And also just preaching. Yeah. The power to preach, which they were doing already. When they say that, they generally mean to do like specific ordinances. Okay. I think there's a little bit in the thing about it being a specific purpose that's kind of retconning. Yeah. Because I don't think at the time that this was built, people thought within a relatively short period of time they were going to abandon it. Right. Or they might have kept more of their China intact. Because we've actually already heard that story. They actually get kicked out of Kirtland and they don't come back either, do they? If they try to. He tries to get his army. Now, obviously they have come back now. Where is Kirtland? It's in Ohio. It's kind of in the middle of the country. 
maps.google.com. Why can't I see it? What's Ohio next to? Below Lake Erie, it's next to Pennsylvania and Indiana, Michigan. Oh, yes, I've been to Michigan. Indiana. Oh, there's Ohio. Right. Oh, that looks like a much nicer place to live. Wow, that's quite a distance. Jesus. That's like one side of the country, really, to the other. It's no wonder he had so much trouble getting them to, like, travel over all these distances. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. I've titled the next one <laughs> Patriot. Patriarchal improvisation. So here we have the first patriarchal blessing. And I'm bet at the time they never expected it to turn into what it's turned into. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're retconning the story a bit too, because everything gets retconned. We conclude with a patriarchal blessing. And at this time, there's just one patriarch in the church, and that's Joseph Smith Sr., it's th this idea that this family tie, a blessing that connects you to Abraham. And if the heavens are opening and God is speaking, have the patriarch speak to you. Once again, they just can't help bastardizing their origins as being part of the Old Testament somewhere. And they desperately, so desperately want to be Jews that aren't Jews. Okay, so you want to be Jewish. Do you know how persecuted that people group has been throughout history? And we're not just talking the 20th century. It has been for so long. They're wanting to buy into all the positive aspects of being part of that group and not sharing in the misery of that group as well. That's cultural appropriation. Uh, we consider it appreciation. Oh, a cultural appreciation. Right. Yes. I think it's funny how quickly you can go from, you know, live and let live to a certain extent when they were traveling through these hostile parts of the country, but then they get to Utah and it's King Brigham. Almost opportunistically, live and let live to, uh, now we've settled down, now we need a king. No, it's 100% that. We got that coming in the Book of Mormon too, and you're going to be shocked to hear this. It's copying the Bible. Oh, really? <laughs> but they go from judges to having a king. Right, again. Yes, 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 yes. They didn't really get into what that patriarchal blessing said. There's this weird kind of relic. <laughs> you still can go get one. Yes. <laughs> and you can generate one online. You only get one in your life. Right, right. Unless you're me and the recording doesn't work and then you get a new one. <gasps> which wow. did actually happen to me. And the new one was much more generic than the old one. Right. <laughs> The first one had some interesting stuff in it, and the second one was like, yeah, blah, 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 be good. <laughs> and I asked the guy, like, what happened to the first one? And he says something like, I don't know, maybe it just wasn't inspired, which is another way of saying, like, he just made it up. He's retconning the audio I didn't record to being, oh, well, that was God, and now this one's actually from God. And I've been in places that did that. It was in the 90s. People were laughing a lot and rolling around on the ground in these big mass hypnosis meetings. Of course, they would just call it mass meetings of the Lord. It was just crazy. They would do personal prophecies and they would record them and type them up. And at the time, I had a huge amount of, God's bigger than all of this. Why are we doing this? This seems a lot like what we're not supposed to do, which is try and predict the future, like witchcraft with a Christian label. And of course, that's exactly what it is. It's doing the same sort of religious horseshit that that anyone does from any group. You can call it witchcraft, you can call it whatever, and they're just giving us the God version of it. Yeah, that sounds about right.
I wonder how much origins of Mormonism and Pentecostalism are coming out of the same time frame and the same instincts. The Pentecostals went more extroverted and the Mormons went more sedate, but maybe they started in a similar place and went different directions. Isn't that interesting? I don't know that that's the case, but I guess it would surprise me. I think you can make an argument for it based on what we know about the beginnings of Mormonism because they started out of all of those tent revivals and so forth. No, for sure. I think that's very valid. All right. So I've just got one last recording and then we'll finish up that I've just called Mormon. Subscribe at themormonchannel.org. Subscribe at themormonchannel.org. <laughs> Subscribe at themormonchannel.org. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you for listening. Oh, thank you, Ben Godfrey. Subscribe at victoryforsatan.org. I wonder if the mormonchannel.org exists. I imagine. I've never been there, but I'm going to check it out now. Mormonchannel.org. Oh, it redirects to churchofjesuschrist.org, the holiest site. Yeah. That's all I had. Any closing thoughts, Brother Benjamin? Be nice to people. No kings. That's right. Yes, stop crowning kings, okay? And yes, be lovely to each other. Or be excellent to each other, as Bill and Ted said. (laughs) That's right. I like it. Go and have your chicken tenders with your family and have a nice night. Thank you so much. Yeah, you've got patience. (laughs) See you later. See you later. Bye. Bye. I guess this is my new normal.